A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Hello everyone and welcome to the first official episode of the second season of Force Ghost Coast to Coast, a multiversity podcast. My name is Alice W. Castle and I will be your host and guide through the galaxy far, far away. This episode has been a bit of a long time coming and I'm very excited for the show to be back in its new format and to have an excuse to talk about Star Wars each month, to be honest. For this episode, I've been joined by Zach Wilkerson of the DC3Cast and Robbie Pleasant to talk about the recently concluded third season of Star Wars Rebels. I've also been joined by Ken Godberson III to discuss Empire's End, the concluding part of Chuck Wendig's Aftermath trilogy, where we also discuss the future of Star Wars novels. I should mention that we will be discussing them in quite a bit of detail, so consider this a spoiler warning for all of Rebels as well as all three of the Aftermath novels. I can't wait for you to hear those discussions, but first a quick note. During the Rebels discussion, there's a couple of instances of audio distortion on my audio. It doesn't affect Zack or Robbie's audio, and just makes me sound a bit like a robot for a few seconds and then goes away. We're going to figure out why that happened and make sure it doesn't happen again. It's just a bit of a snafu, unfortunately. Also, one last thing before we get into the episode proper, this episode should be going up the Friday of Celebration Orlando. Celebration is looking to be a huge event this year, so I would keep an eye out on your podcast feeds for about Monday for a quick wrap-up episode discussing the big news and reveals of the weekend, assuming there are any. We'll be back next month with a deeper dive into what we learned over Celebration Weekend, and maybe even a discussion about Timothy Zahn's recently released Thrawn novel. Until then, enjoy the rest of the episode and may the force be with you. So, welcome back. We are going to be talking about um, Star Wars Rebels now. Um, Our little chat about um, Season 3, how we felt about it, the highs, the lows, and where we kind of hope to see the show go in Season 4. Joining me is Zach and Robbie. Say hi, guys. Hello, hello. So... Basically, we're just going to be chatting about what we thought of the season. So, first up, what were you guys like? Kind of overall impressions of how season three of Star Wars Rebels went down. I thought it was a bit of a mixed bag. It had some some very high highs and then some equally low lows, and a lot of just um, I guess kind of meandering along the way as well. I think mm-hmm. overall it fell a little bit below my enjoyment of season two which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit, but I um, overall I liked it. I kind of get the feeling that the writers were gathered around a room and they went, okay, we're going to do this and it'll be awesome. We're going to do this and it'll be awesome. And this will be even more awesome. We're going to be in Thrawn. We got Tom Baker willing to do stuff for this. We got all these awesome people and ideas and that'll take about four episodes. Crap, what do we do for the rest? And <laughs> that would basically explain how we got this season as it is. A lot of awesome with a lot of whatever in between. Yeah, I definitely felt that there was more... I've seen kind of Dave Filoni and Pablo Hidalgo kind of disparage the use of the term filler, but I can't call it anything other than filler for this season. There was a lot of fluff in between moments of absolute great Star Wars television, but like there were some episodes there that were hard to get through. Yeah, there were a lot of ones that come to mind. I think like Iron Squadron is one that gets tossed around a lot. You had brought up the the Wincanthu job. Mm-hmm. Especially in the early half of the season, there were a lot of 
filler-esque episodes. The one Kathy job, that strikes me as an episode where it felt like an episode they'd done a bunch of times before, where Ezra has to learn a lesson, so he kind of messes up in the beginning, and then he learns, and it's like, we need, like, this is season one content, and we're in season three. Some of these episodes that you guys listed are so forgettable, I actually have to go to Wikipedia just to remember, oh yeah, that happened, and nothing of value is when lost. I've reviewed all of these episodes individually, and some of them I'm looking back and I'm like, I don't, like, I almost forgot about the last battle. There was this whole send-off to the Clone Wars where Ezra Bridger somehow solved the galactic mystery of the Clone Wars by himself, and it just kind of gets lost under the rug. I do, yeah, you bring up the last battle. That was actually, um, it was one that I've kind of forgotten about, but now that I think back on it, it was, um, I think maybe one of my Dark Horse episodes of this season in terms of, like, episodes that flew under the radar, but I actually kind of enjoyed. I mostly enjoyed it. I I will say that, um, I like the idea of a Clone War send-off and kind of having a reason for why, um, Rex is still around, at least, was kind of cool, but just that, that ending really niggles at me still yeah well you bring up the idea of a clone war send-off and you know we got a little bit of it in season two and really even here um i think rebels is becoming more and more of a clone wars sequel in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. or even continuation with you know we had ahsoka rex hondo maul the geonosians yeah yeah so just a lot of concepts and and plot threads that oh the mandalorians too especially like a lot of things are being carried over in really meaningful ways from the clone wars and sometimes you know not so meaningful ways but it is interesting and i i guess maybe your reaction to that depends on how familiar or how fondly how fondly you you recall the clone wars which i i enjoyed i would say the majority of clone wars yeah i mean that that was kind of the show that kind of kicked off my like love of star wars again after the prequel trilogy ended i was just kind of floating about being like i guess star wars is kind of over now and clone wars was the moment where i was like oh yeah no star wars can still be good even though there's not many movies coming out but yeah it was just kind of weird to see this become clone wars too in a way so moving on to the stuff that we did like um you mentioned the mandalorians i think i can kind of speak for all of us when we say that the sabine stuff this season kicked ass Oh, yeah. Yeah, really great character development for her. Yeah, we finally got character development. That was something that I found kind of weird, was that even after some of her kind of solo episodes in season two, she was still pretty much a mystery. Like, the reason she left Mandalore was kind of up in arms, and this show, like, and just two episodes really dug deep into her backstory in a really meaningful, really poignant way. Yeah, definitely. And even, you know, to go as far as to take her off the table, even if just for a few episodes, but giving her her own sort of trajectory separate from the main cast, I thought was was really cool and and sets up some really cool things for the show, you know, in the finale and then moving forward as well. I I just love that training sequence in Trials of the Dark Saber. When Kanan's just describing how the impact of lightsaber to lightsaber feels, the way it flies through the air and the danger that comes just 
from holding it that was such an amazing sequence the animation the acting the sound effects it everything just added to the impact of each and every blow and that was just so amazing for sabine's character and just for the series as a whole Mm -hmm. and to have an episode that took place pretty much entirely in one location and not feel like a bottle episode because it focused so much on the characters and actually kind of allowed the characters to develop past these kind of really rigid archetypes that they've been stuck in for a while now was so impressive and like that was a moment where like i felt dave filoni come back (laughs) like that was a moment where i was like this is the guy where where's he been for two seasons like you did twilight of the apprentice and then you just kind of disappeared what happened but it was so good to get on just a good ass episode And then now that we've got kind of the fallout from Legacy of Mandalore into Zero Hour, we now have a new Mandalorian Civil War with them basically like the pro-imperial and the anti-imperial side fighting for control of Mandalore, which is going to be interesting for season four. Yeah, very much so. It'll be really interesting. This is, um, or I think these these shows always kind of get interesting in terms of like the continuity aspects of it, like wondering how, as we get closer and closer to A New Hope, how these things will manifest and, and play into like the, the pre-existing Star Wars foundation, I guess. And you know, sometimes I worry that it, they won't be able to tie it in, in in a meaningful way necessarily, but I really hope that the stories that we get from it are, are meaningful in, in their own respect. And when isn't Mandalore having some sort of war going on? Either a civil war, a war with other people, <laughs> war against the Jedi, war within the families? I mean, I get it. You're a warrior race. Okay. It's cool. It's, but, you know, we get good stories out of it, so I'm not one to complain. What do you think are the odds that they return to the Boba Fett well? I was genuinely just about to ask that. I I think if we don't see him next season, like, that'll be kind of a missed opportunity. Although there has been some contention. I don't know if you guys know about this, but they've pretty much, like, retconned Django and Boba Fett as being not Mandalorian. Or the idea that Django Fett somehow has Mandalorian armor and is claiming to be Mandalorian, but isn't quite, has caused some contention, mostly, I think, among people who really were into, uh, like, the old Expanded Universe Mandalorian and the Mandoa stuff. But I find it interesting to see... I wonder if they'll bring in Boba Fett as a... Like, Sabine's trying to build a new Mandalore and Boba Fett is just kind of stealing its kind of warrior culture-ness. Um, I don't want to use the word appropriating here, but he's he's trying... He's, like, wearing the armor. He's trying to be, like, a badass bounty hunter and it's not kind of true to what Sabine's Mandalore is, I guess. I don't know, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I think it'd be interesting to see a contrast there. And also, we haven't kind of seen him since the Clone Wars. We don't know what he's been up to, other than, I guess, being... Yeah, I would definitely like to see Boba's journey to becoming the badass bounty hunter that we know he's supposed to be. Boba versus Sabine, that would be an interesting thing to see. Even if it's just, you know, a quick fight, they shout out some things about opposing ideology, then... 
another base explodes and suddenly they have to go and take care of their own stuff. Either way, I would like to see Boba Fett come in for at least a little bit and see how he meshes with the other characters and the whole Mandalore events that are currently going on. Yeah, I think yeah, I kind sure. of agree with you, Alice, that it, it would be a bit of a missed opportunity not to bring back Boba, but at the same time, I I question how they could do it in a really meaningful way, so... Mm-hmm. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, there's been uh, a lot of talk of a Boba Fett movie, so maybe they're saving him for that. I I have no idea. Yeah. But moving on a little bit, the other than Sabine's stuff, which pretty much only took up two episodes, uh, not counting uh, Imperial Super Commandos, the actual overarching narrative was about Thrawn, which you 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 probably wouldn't have guessed seeing as he also appeared in like i think four or five episodes more near the kind of end of the season but he wasn't a very hands-on villain no i was a little disappointed in the way they used thrawn throughout the season you know we got a few cool nods to the original thrawn trilogy with the interdictor is that what they're called yeah the uh gravity yeah, those, the gravity well star destroyers but yeah he he I don't feel like he really did a lot. I, I felt like mm-hmm. they kept trying to make it so, oh yes, every rebel victory is a part of Thrawn's Xanatos gambit. You know, everything they do feeds into his information and helps it make it easier for him to find their base, blah blah blah, he's uncovered the traitor, blah blah blah, he w- has planned for this defeat. And it's like, okay, that works for a few episodes. We got some good things where it's like, hey, the rebels think they won, but no, you know, Thrawn now found out all this awesome stuff because... You know, of everything they did. Cool. But other times it's like, um, okay, how exactly does this help you again? Which, which to be fair, is kind of his, um, his MO in, in terms of, like, his, his, the part he played in the old expanded universe. Uh, but I think, like, it's interesting. I know I, I saw, like, a lot of trepidation when they brought Vader in last season about kind of undermining the character by having him constantly be foiled by this you know little ragtag group and Mm -hmm. and with Thrawn I thought they handled that in a really good way by essentially like making him he essentially like would have won during zero hour if it hadn't been for you know the big deus ex machina of of the Bindu the the literal deus ex machina the big force cloud Um, I never thought we would got to get to the point where we actually saw what was basically a force storm (laughs) voiced by Tom Baker it was, was it was um, I, Galactus from the old Fanta- the you know two thousand oh Fantastic Four movie. Uh, movie Parallax. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Oh. Um, yeah. The uh, the dawn of the Jedi mark in me was uh, freaking out over the idea of uh, Force storms coming back. Um, but I okay. So I haven't read the uh, original Heir to the Empire trilogy. Uh, I'm a bad Star Wars fan because of that. But I feel like Thrawn is a character that maybe works better in the context of a novel where you get to see all of the threads of his huge gambit where, you know, no matter what his prey tries to do, everything leads to his victory in one condensed narrative. 
where he gets to just kind of I don't know how it works in the novel basically but I'm imagining it kind of works more condensed than trying to string it over 20 episodes where but at a certain point it was just kind of like the rebels keep winning with no real active threat but there's a little scene tacked on where Thrawn goes ah but you see now I know some of the planets where they might have their base on if I do this and then I'll get and I'm like guys speed up a bit (laughs) I need I need some kind of active force for the rebels to go up against yeah yeah i think i think you're onto something like with with the novels there's a bit less of the um like the mustache twirling mm-hmm. every you know at, it's not like at the end of every chapter you have this like checkpoint where thrawn tells you how what has just happened plays into his his overall scheme it, it, you're kind of right it is more like a series of events and then at the end you see like oh here's the bigger picture it pulls back so i i think you're right in terms of just narrative pacing versus a novel and a, a you know a 20 20 episode serialized television show there is a difference and i think we we've kind of seen how that maybe we did get some well. pretty cool moments that were nods to the uh you know novel version of thrawn like when he was just looking at um Spine's graffiti and managed to figure out, you know, so much about her and the rebels just from analyzing that. You know, that's something that he could do in the books. He could, you know, figure out an entire culture just from looking at their artwork. So that was a good nod right there. But um, yeah, strategy-wise, mm. it was definitely a lot of yes, the rebels won this time, but now I have this little bit of more information. And honestly, I think that the perfect time they could have done that to show, oh no, they walked right into his trap would have been when um, Callus deleted the secret base's location from uh, the Imperial files. And he could have just gone, yes, I've already memorized exactly where each of the star systems were on that map. I can now compare to what's here. Mm-hmm. And, oh, look, this exact one was deleted. Let's attack it. That's that's a fantastic point, Robbie. And I, I actually kind of expected them to go that route and, and really wish they had, because then it would have made Double Agent Droid a completely unnecessary episode. Oh, God, I forgot about that episode. Oh. Yeah, that, that would have been a really nice oh, episode. I mean, yeah, he still managed favorite. to figure out, you know, that Callus was a traitor, but at the same time, he could have done that and gotten so much more information with just that little twist there, which should have shown, well, could have shown, just brilliant he is, how his mind works, how many steps ahead he's thought, and instead, yeah, we get an episode where everyone is totally blind to the fact that Chopper's been compromised, except for the one droid that they should listen to, but never do because reasons. <laughs> that, that that was such a narrative contrivance that entire i was actually really surprised that an episode like warhead the one just after ghost of geonosis where like thrawn's probe lands on their base and goes back to the ship but just manages to blow up because of the the self-destruct and everything's kind of fine i was expecting some kind of twist at the end where you know thrawn that like puts thrawn's kind of gears in motion and kind of focuses in on where the base and kind of ramps up the tension but it just kind of like flitted by and i just i remember like getting to the end of that episode and just being like okay what did that actually accomplish though in terms of his his plan. Now, going back to Double Agent Droid for just a second, I will say one thing in favor of that episode, musical numbers. We actually get the two droids arguing, anything you can do, I can do oh, yeah. better. And that that justifies that episode's existence, even if the rest of it was like, okay, um, characters are acting stupid. But, you know, w- what? whatever. We had droids singing, and you get your gun. I'm okay. 
God, that that episode ended on like a Douglas Adams. You will scene. not see me complaining so about weird. anything uh, closely related to Douglas Adams. I loved it. It was just it was a very. I, I I find it very strange that they put that between Secret Cargo, which was like surprisingly a huge, like hugely important episode that they just kind of hid in the middle of the show, and then Twin Sons, which was what everyone was kind of expecting the the huge payoff for the finale to be, or at least I was. Yeah, can we talk oh, a little absolutely. bit about Twin Sons? I, th- I think it's time. I think it's time. Man, what a what a way to cap off this, you know, years-long rivalry. You know, a huge plot thread running throughout Clone Wars and, and into Rebels, this kind of big rivalry between Maul and, and Obi-Wan, and for it to just end in three, three slashes, basically, mm-hmm. which I... I thought was beautiful. So I, I think I mentioned this in my review, but I was that person that I saw that duel and I didn't get it. I didn't get what they were going for with the samurai thing, with the whole looks. I was I literally just kind of stopped and went, wait, is, is, is that it? And it took watching Rebels Recon to like make me appreciate actually all of the thought that went into making it only three seconds, which I think took a lot of guts for what's ostensibly a kid's show to put that much onus on the visual storytelling. Yeah, I agree. It was heavy. There was a lot in in just that little segment, you know, kind of Obi-Wan transitioning from his, his, you know, kind of like Clone Wars form, you know, lightsaber form to Mm -hmm. something more aligned with the, you know, Alec Guinness, A New Hope Obi-Wan and... And then just in the the aftermath, kind of like this acknowledgement that they were both fighting the same thing, just in different ways, like drastically different ways. And and just kind of like that, like sad solidarity. I don't know. It was just, I thought it was extremely powerful. There was something that I saw pointed out. It was probably either on Twitter or on Reddit. That If you watch um, Maul's animation, the moves he goes through, he actually pulls the same move that he killed Qui-Gon with where he does the, uh, he like hits the underside of the wrists to kind of push up and then goes to twirl and stab him through the gut. But Obi-Wan basically completely blocks it and cuts him down, showing that, you know, Maul's been trapped in this cycle ever since Naboo, but Obi-Wan has learned so much, which I thought was an excellent touch. Yeah, yeah, those are the kinds of attention to detail that, that go into the show that could be completely overlooked, you know, um... It's, oh, I, I can't believe, you know, you brought up that, that this is essentially a children's show, but at the same time, the people who are behind it making it are treated as, you know, as what, you know, Star Wars canon, which it, as of this time is. So, yeah. It was just a wonderfully done moment. Just, I, I think that because it was so quick, we could appreciate it more just in the power behind how it all accumulated up to that point and then ends just like that. Just slash block slash pause just that moment is that it is is that where it ends i mean we know obi-wan survives but is that the end of darth maul yes it is and just the last word the <laughs> last words they, for long, uh, exchange between each other is just definitive it, it closes all that perfectly the the idea that i really liked was seeing maul who was like he's a character entirely defined by rage you know rage at the Jedi, Rage at Sidious, Rage at Kenobi, like, he just lashes out at the world. And for his final moments to seek comfort in the idea of, is Luke the Chosen One? 
are like you know the chosen one's this weird nebulous term but like the idea that he's putting his last moments of faith in obi-wan's belief that luke is the one to destroy the sith and kind of get his revenge by proxy is really that's really deep for what's you know again a kid's show like this is on disney channel or disney yeah. XD, whatever it's a lot to unpack for sure <laughs> I think I was I was really surprised that the you know um I think I might have mentioned that uh in my review of the episode uh, Dave Filoni basically came out and said that you know Maul was supposed to die in Twilight of the Apprentice like they brought him back essentially to have Vader kill him off in that episode um and basically just cut that for time in order to focus on the uh, Ahsoka fight and I feel like it was kind of weird for them to put this onus on Maul's journey for it to show up in what I think three episodes this season yeah yeah something like that I think holocrons of fate uh, holocrons of voices fate. yeah and then twin sons but like just those three episodes alone were like a great summation of everything the character's been since being brought back in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would really like to think, or hope at least, that Maul's influence on Ezra will maybe continue to be a thing. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think, you know, there was a lot of talk. I was really expecting how this um, season began with, you know, a much older, much more arrogant Ezra to kind of push towards the uh, Ezra falling to the dark side, essentially. I'm still kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. And I think, I I don't know, that might still be a possibility for season four. We'll see. So I think there's only one thing that I really want to get into before we start to wrap up. And that is Fulcrum, or Callus and his whole arc in this season, which was very very interesting it was um ever since we had that episode with him and zeb in season two i believe yes the honorable ones the honorable ones yeah callus has had that kind of you know um redeemed villain arc going which can be a little contrived sometimes but i thought it Mm. worked out really well throughout this season and and culminated in a really really great episode of um uh, oh, through imperial eyes yeah which had one of i think the most interesting opening scenes that this show has ever had with that kind of first person point of view yeah i i remember seeing the uh so i would like religiously watch rebels recon after each episode of rebels there was i i remember seeing the preview of the episode and it was that opening in the first person i was like did they do an entire episode in first person i was about to lose my mind but you know alas they didn't do the whole episode like that but that first shot showed that they were you know they're not unwilling to experiment with form in terms of what star wars can be like they're not beholding to just everything has to look like what george lucas did obviously it's you know animated but just in terms of like the cinematic style they were actually experimenting with stuff, which I thought was really, really neat. Yeah, I, I, I got nothing else to add to that. You guys are both making some great points. Um, That was definitely, you know, well done. And just the way that his character developed throughout, you know, all those episodes from, you know, the number one ch- well, person chasing down the rebels there, Javert, to, you know, their inside man was quite the character arc and was done in such, you know, a subtle but noticeable way when you look back over it that it was, you know, well executed and good for the character. 
I really think, um, you know, the voice cast is super talented across the board for the show, but I think David Oyelowo is kind of their secret weapon. You know, I feel like he doesn't get enough props for just how much humanity he brings to a character who is, like, this guy shouldn't be likable, you know? He's basically, like, space SS, (laughs) who just kind of feels bad about it now. Like, I shouldn't care about his redemption arc, but I feel like his voice brings so much to the character that I'm like, yeah, I want to see him actually redeem himself in season four and actually become a full-blown rebel, which is, I think, what we're going to see from the like that last part of the And overall, you know, all the voice actors in this show are fantastic. Um, big love to my man Steve. Uh, you know, Steve Bloom, he's just an all-time favorite of mine, but everyone in there is really good at what they do. The emotion, the way they bring life to the characters, it's fantastic. Yeah, I have to give props to, um, what is Hera's voice actress's name? Um, I'm trying to pull I it up really quick. I believe but... it is Vanessa Marshall. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, I thought she did a really good job in Zero Hour, just in the scenes oh, yeah. where she's kind of, um talking with Kanan and he's trying to get back and just, you know, kind of like showcasing the fear and the emotion there, which like, man, I really hope those two characters get an even bigger push next season, Mm -hmm. just in terms of their kind of like, I I saw them compared on Reddit as like the, like Fox and, uh, Fox and Scully of, um, the show, (laughs) which like, yeah, I really like a lot. I Uh, like that. Zero had, there was this amazing moment in Zero Hour with Hera where she's under the shield generator looking up an orbital bombardment from the Star Destroyers and just kind of like looks away and flinches a little as that you can see her pretty much trying to accept the idea that like the shield's going to fail and this could kill me and this could be the end of the rebellion as I know it. Everything I've done my entire life has led to this moment where I get shot to death from space and it was animated so well. It was like there was no, I didn't call attention to itself. It was just this small moment and then, you know, Thrawn calls off the bombardment and you can see the relief. It was just, it felt really heavy for, you know, I keep going back to it. This is a kid's show. Like, this is ostensibly more kind of young audience friendly than Clone Wars ever was. But I feel like they're they're back to kind of pushing that envelope of how mature their storytelling abilities can be for a show that has such a young audience in mind. I just love I, I love that shot that they had yeah, for I just agree. a second where, you know, you're, the a camera basically is underneath the shield generator and you're seeing the blasts as they're barely stopping and you see what the rebels see at that moment really added to that battle. Because those blasts, those are like turbo laser blasts. Those are designed to like take out other starships that could like atomize a person. So like the idea that like the only thing between you and not just certain death, but complete obliteration is this nebulous shield that might not even work is that's very rebels to me is looking death in the face and having basically just a hope and a prayer that you get through it. That was the moment where I was like, this show has finally found what it needs to keep going. Yeah, I think that that kind of like leads us into like a good closing point where we kind of talk about what the show might look like going forward and what might happen in season four. Let's start with you guys. Uh, Robbie, do you have any kind of 
I do, yeah. We've touched on a few things, you know, like Boba Fett showing up would be cool. Kallus having more of a redemption arc, that's all well and good. But I really Mm -hmm. want to see the Rebels on the run more and actually, you know, being forced back and losing. We've had a lot of episodes where they get some nice little wins, not enough to count as the major victory that we get from Rogue One, but some things that make it go, yeah, the Rebellion is doing pretty good right now. And I really want to see them getting pushed to the edge and episodes where the only victory is coming back alive to really show the kind of threat that the Empire well, represents, uh, the, really the kinds of danger that they're up against. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's all well and good to see the heroes win, you know, frequently, but when it is, you know, the Rebels versus the Empire, and you know, you know that canonically, uh, stealing the Death Star plans is the first big win that they get. Now, I want to see those losses that the big win really is all that more important. And we kind of got that in this episode with everyone getting, you know, trashed by the uh, Empire's assault, you know, the rebels getting pretty well beat up and Commander Sato sacrificing himself, all that fun stuff. But I I do want to see more of the... I I really do want to see more of the um, intensity and the dire straits that they're in. I think we'll see something like that because I think we're going to see a kind of a more proactive Thrawn in the face of what was essentially a defeat for him. You know, all of that planning to lead up to zero hour to get to this moment where anything other than 100% eradication of the rebels, I think, would have been a defeat for him. And it was really interesting to see, like you say, like the, the victory of zero hour was surviving zero hour to get to season four. So I think we will see, hopefully more kind of story beats like that where Thrawn kind of throws everything he has at Rebels a bit more. Zach, what about you? You know, I think as far as like what I expect, I fe- I expect season four to deal a lot with the Mandalorian plot thread. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that makes up the majority of the next season, just kind of dealing with that civil war and what it means. Um, I expect there to be more Rogue One type stuff. Um, I oh, think definitely. they've already con- confirmed that Saw will be back again, Saw Gerrera, mm-hmm. which was one of my... I, I wasn't as high on the that, that two-parter with him, the, the Geonosis episode, Ghost of Geonosis. I thought mm-hmm. that was a little underwhelming, so I'd like to see them maybe do a little bit better with that this time around. And I, and I don't know, like as far as things I would like to see... Uh, I just want to say, I, no, I hope there was, there was a weird bit in Ghost of Geonosis where they kept cutting back to like the same loop of Forrest Whitaker's like chuckle like three times in a row and I was like this is he's like not not a voice actor like it seemed like he didn't have much of a handle on being a voice actor I think he I hope he if he does come back he has a bit more of a oomph to the character yeah I can see that for sure um and then I was just gonna say like as far as things I would like to see um I don't really, you know, it's kind of hard to know what the trajectory of the show is going to be in terms of, you know, like how many more seasons we're going to get or, or that sort of thing. But I I would like to see the show move a little closer into like a New Hope territory and see mm-hmm. what these characters are doing around, around that era. So I would not be opposed to maybe like a pretty sizable time jump. Yeah, that could be interesting. I mean, I I think we're going to see next season either the mid-season kind of two-parter or the finale be the Battle of Scarif from the Ghost Crew's perspective. Because we know from Rogue One that the Ghost was there. Like, that was pretty much confirmed back in... Like, we, were, we saw the Ghost show up in, like, teasers, like, trailers for Rogue One. So we know that the ship was there. 
So I think we're going to see like their perspective and their uh, contributions to that. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if they move past that and what they'll do with that and whether we'll see... Because like, my big interest in that is if they go past Battle of Scarif and even go past like the Battle of Yavin, are we going to see Luke and Han and Leia rock around in Rebels? Like, that would, I don't know. I, I, I guess we've already seen like, Leia, but... And technically, if you like look at the end of uh, Twin Sons, we've seen Luke. That's true, you're right. I mean, he's like a 16-year-old in the background, but I think it'd be really interesting to see just how much the show's going to tie into what we know of like the classic trilogy kind of pillars of storytelling, whether we'll even see kind of what was the ghost crew up to during the Battle of Hoth or the Battle of Endor kind of stuff. I don't think they'll go maybe that far, but I'm interested to see what kind of a trajectory this show has. Because we're getting to the point where like its major seasons could line up with the original trilogy's events. So... It'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. The the one thing I do hope they kind of go back to and touch on is the idea of the Inquisitors. I feel like that kind of just got dropped afterwards, uh, after season two at least. And I I firmly maintain I believe Ahsoka Tano is alive. There was there's oh, no definitive proof that she died on Malachar. And I feel like Dave Filoni has something up his sleeve, and I think we're going to see not only more of her, but I think we might see the return of the Inquisitors next season. Fingers crossed, at least. Yeah, I I'm right there with you. I hope that as well. Um, is there any kind of last thoughts you want to leave on? I'm good. We touched on quite a bit. Um, you know, thank you for having me. It's yeah, not same. a problem. You're both welcome anytime. I think that will do us for our Rebels talk. It was kind of a rocky season but i think it ended on a note that's very interesting for where to go in the future where can they find you guys on the twitters and stuff um i'm on twitter at surfox89 uh, you can find me on twitter as a at r underscore pleasant and awesome thank you guys for being here and that kind of wraps up our rebels chat Okay, and we're back. So at the time of recording, I don't know where this is going to go. So either you just heard us talk about Rebels, or you just heard me in the intro. Either way, I am joined by Ken, and we're going to be talking about Empire's End, which is the third and final part of the Aftermath trilogy. And I guess kind of the uh, Aftermath trilogy as a whole is a series of novels. But first up, okay, Ken... What was your kind of reaction to Empire's End? I liked it. I liked it more than the first book, but I I wasn't I wasn't as big a fan of it as I was of Life Dead. While I did like Empire's End, I did feel like it was a bit scattered more than um, mm-hmm. Life Dead. Life Dead felt very a lot more tighter. I found it very interesting that from I think pretty much chapter two, we're on Jakku. You know, mm-hmm. like almost the entirety of the novel is spent with some characters on Jakku while the rest of them figure out ways to get to Jakku. And this is a long novel. Like this is easily I... the longest of the three books. And it felt like it took a long time for things to kind of tie together near the end there, which I found very strange because like 
life that had more disparate threads of narrative going on. You know, you had Chandrilla, you had Kashyyyk, you had other stuff in between that I probably forget because it was like last year that I read that. Whereas Empire's End has pretty much one thread of everyone trying to get to Jakku that it kind of pulled maybe a little farther than it needed to. And what's what's funny? What's funny is this. I think this is the one. This one had the the least amount of those interludes. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't counted them, but uh, it seemed like those ones were a lot fewer and far between than the previous two novels. Yeah, especially. Um, I think the first one. I think the first one. I like the idea of it, but I feel like the third one, the first aftermath book, kind of leaned heavily on the idea of interludes because like the actual story itself is super simple. And yeah. you use those interludes to see like, oh, there's other stuff happening. Yeah, I think it was more about it was more about setting up the uh the post Jedi uh Star Wars universe than necessarily a focused mm-hmm. plot. Yeah, like once they made pretty much um Mon Mothma and like the the Senate side of things a focus with um life debt, like they like that took most of the interludes away and put them in the actual narrative of the story, which makes up like almost half of Empire's End, I think. Like we spend a lot of time with Mon Mothma in a really interesting way, I find. Yeah. I mean not yeah, not in a bad way, just a very surprising way, especially um I really enjoyed her interactions with uh Singer. Man, I feel like I feel like Singer came out other than I will we'll get to her, other than Ray Sloan. Shinger has came out as, like, the character from these novels. Yeah, definitely. Like, he, between, yeah, between him and Rhett and Sloan, those were the two who I was the most invested in. Well, mm-hmm. invested's a weird word with uh, Sloan, but you get what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, okay, I, ignoring, um, we set up a little, uh, like, order for things. I'm going to ignore that. Oh, okay. um, let's just talk about Ray Sloan for a little bit. <laughs> Because from going from what was essentially a supporting character role in A New Dawn to, I should make, I th- I feel like I'm going to reiterate this. We're going to talk like full spoilers, yeah. not just for Empire's End, but all of these novels. But for her to go from like this, just kind of, I don't want to say generic, a, but... A bit, yeah, like a very bit part in what is supposed hmm. to be Kanan and Hera's novel. Yeah, she just kind of like showed up, up as actually more important than both of them. Yeah, she she's she is the creator of the first order. Yeah, like, we we have that kind of definitive answer. Like, of let me, she's the one me, that yeah. says the first it's order. A, yeah, it's uh, let me get to that. Uh, I'm gonna read it right from verbatim. Here it is. Let's. It's the very last page. So if you really don't want spoilers, you should turn off now. <laughs> they could colonize it all. Their new galaxy will never have known a time without an empire. That thrills her. And indeed, it worries her too. It's time to start over, she says to Hux. This is our first order, to begin again and to get it right this time. Mm. I mean, I just... Ah, I... It's fascinating. Yeah. In a way that I've never seen Star Wars go. Yeah. I have to give a lot of... Like, I was talking to you about this before we start recording, and I have to give Mm. a lot of credit to Windig. He created a, a really interesting character arc with her throughout these novels, as somebody mm-hmm. like you described it really perfectly, she wants an empire without an emperor. Yeah, which is wild. She wants like this fascist space communism. 
Yeah. Where the Empire has complete totalitarian control over the galaxy, but without, like, a sole figurehead to take all the credit or all the blame. Mm-hmm. And this is, and I'm, and I gotta give credit again to Wendig in that she, even all the shit she goes through throughout these three novels, she never learns her lesson. Like, she never mm-hmm. realizes that it's not just a matter of your empire or Palpatine's version of the empire or Rax's version of the empire. It, it is the empire itself doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And she never realizes that. And I actually really appreciate that. I'm glad she doesn't get like, you know, a re- I, I'm glad it's not a redemption arc, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I was kind of expecting him to go that way, especially with the uh, the kind of confrontation and kind of joining up with Nora and um, Nora's husband, whose name I can never remember. What is his name? Bren- I don't remember. Bren- Brendan? Brenton? No, no, Brenton. no, no. No, it's not. You're thinking of um, Brendel Hux. That's so not oh, yeah. him. I don't, um, I, all right, he's not important. The, the husband. <laughs> um, Nora's husband. Yeah, yeah. they kind of like teamed up to take down Rax for a while, and I was kind of expecting them to be like, "Oh well, this is where Ray Sloan learns to like trust the New Republic and goes off and joins them." And then when he's like, "No, not at all. No, you thought this was going to be simple." I'm so glad for that. Yeah, I I feel like it's like these are her novels. Yeah, almost. They really are. Like you, you can make an argument that it's about again, a very weak argument that it's about Nora and Snap, but let's face it, it, the interesting plot was Ray's uh, Ray Sloan's downfall and rising back up. Yeah, because I feel like you always kind of knew what was going to happen with uh, Nora and Snap. Yeah. Like, they were always going to, like, either Nora was going to die and Snap like mourns her and then goes off to be the best pilot of the resistance blah 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 blah, or as what happens they both live happily ever after yeah 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 um yes i know that poe dameron is the best yeah it's like excuse me what is this nonsense um (laughs) he gets to be the best greg grunberg of the star wars universe there you go but yeah like ray sloan is so, because this is a very different version of Ray Sloan, you know, like she's really been taken down a peg in this yeah. one. She's like basically like scraping together the will to live out of sheer dogged revenge yeah. against Rax, which very interestingly mirrors basically what Nora wants to do to her. Yeah, which I thought was um some pretty good, pretty good theming on the part of uh, Wendig there. Mm-hmm. But okay, so this is this is something I wanted to actually talk about. Someone who's read the novel, so we know that Sloane creates the First Order out in the unknown regions of space. She's the one that says we're going to rebuild the Empire and we're going to do it right this time. Whatever right means, there is some big ass uh, finger quotes over right. Where the fuck does Snoke come into this? I. <sighs> I didn't like, think I didn't think Snoke was ever going to show. I didn't think Snoke was going to end up in this trilogy. I didn't think that. Oh no! I knew once that. Ga- oh. Yeah, once like once Gallius Rax was revealed, I didn't think he was going to be Snoke. I don't want to say that. Like, all right, the last 
Okay, let's uh, further context. The last scene of this book um, is um, Sloan and um, Brendel Hux and um, Brendel's son, who will grow up into Dom Hill uh, Gleason's character in Force mm-hmm. Awakens. They are arriving on the um, the last, the actual last superstar destroyer, the mm-hmm. Eclipse in the Unknown yeah, Regions. Yeah. I don't want to say that Snoke is on there already. I feel like oh god no he's um, going to come later. I feel like he's going to come later. But what's interesting to me is so there's like what a thirty something year gap between yeah. that epilogue and the start of the Force Awakens. Yeah, twenty nine years. Sloan is out of the picture. Armitage Hux now leads the First Order fleet, and Snoke is basically who he reports to as the supreme leader. Yeah, and I'm really interested to see how that came about like was there did did snoke wrest control of the first order from sloan was like is sloan snoke or like <laughs> i'm the like i hate being the star wars conspiracy theorist because yeah. i feel like i just want to like sit down but this and has there is me there is actually um, out. there's one one of the interludes that doesn't actually fully get a resolution with this is the um the whole mm. that cult that vader worshiping cult yeah. the acolytes of the beyond that never really does get a full yeah. ending here and it doesn't yeah, tie that's, that's, i feel like there's there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't get actively resolved by the end of this trilogy and i'm expecting so celebration is we were recording this in april so celebration is this month i think it's like I a really, two, weeks, two weeks from now something like that uh yeah yeah about that um I'm expecting some of the stuff that didn't get resolved here to end up either being a comic announced or a novel announced at Celebration. And I don't know if the Acolytes of the Beyond is one of them, but it's something I feel like we're going to see followed up on either closer to The Last Jedi or in the aftermath of it, depending on what we learn there. Uh, The other one I'm expecting is, so there's just this guy on Tatooine with Boba Fett's armor. Oh, yeah. That like, actually, I I was a little con- I, I I'd probably have to just reread them, but I got very confused with those because like, it, it starts off and you kind of expect it to be like, oh, is, did Boba Fett survive? Is this their like new take on him surviving the Sarlacc? Yeah. And it's like, no, it's just some like random sheriff dude. guy. Yeah, and it's, the was, black son is working with um, what were they called? The Red Key. Red Key, yeah, and and now. Jasimari, um, fucking Dengar of all people, mm-hmm. and Enbo from the Clone Wars are gonna go fight them. I guess yeah, be bounty hunters. That was I got it. That, that was probably the weakest subplot for me. Mm-hmm. I was just, it, um, not just because it was just very confusing. Yeah. All right. So um, it was it was very strange. But uh, yeah, I I I can't wait to see where they how they patch up the timeline and what needs what gets filled in in that gap yeah speaking of which i feel like if we're going to be talking about the first order we need to talk about galia tracks and we need to talk about the what did he call it the contingency the contingency um yeah i keep forgetting that word because it's um, like the so most generic basi- evil plan word basically it's the contingency was palpatine's i'm taking all you fuckers out with me I'm taking um, my ball plan. and I'm going home. Yeah, I mean, if you read, um, for those of you that read the comic, that have read the Star Wars comics, um, if you read A Shattered Empire, that miniseries, 
about um, basically about Poe's parents. Gallius Rax is another part of that, or I don't know, or what happens in Shadow Empire is part of the contingency. It's again, it's all of Palpatine's little plans for after he dies. That and there's a scene with Palpatine in this where he describes it, like in terms of chess, like, like if the king is taken out, then none of the pawns deserve to live because they fail. Mm-hmm. So. I don't want to get too harsh on this because I I did like Empire's End, but I feel like that was the most conventional that Wendig went with the plot, which yeah. was very like even to the point of introducing like there's a point where he goes like, "Hey, we're we're doing this some um, space chess, but it's sometimes also known as just chess." I was like, "Yeah, that oh, uh, yes." Yeah. Okay. To be fair, there's there is a hell in Star Wars, so oh yeah. Um, I keep forgetting that that George Lucas just made the shit up as he went along. Um, I I felt like Gallius Rex, the more we learned about Gallius Rex, the less interesting I found him. Yep. Um, That was my problem too. Um, Because the the crux of the novel is basically what is Gallius Rex planning on Jekku, right? Like it spends pretty much the entirety of the novel being like, why are we on Jekku? What's the importance of this Tatooine clone? That ending to Life Dead was like, oh, wait, wait, what? I mean, we knew Jakku would be important because it would be the last battle of the Empire. But Mm -hmm. when you find out what he's planning, I mean... When they were talking about the Battle of Jakku way back in the lead up to The Force Awakens and we got stuff for like Battlefront and Lost Stars especially, yeah. I, I was kind of convinced that the Battle of Jakku was basically just, this just happens to be the last stand of the Empire. Like there is a number of battles that took place and Jakku is just the last one to, yeah, and, to fall. And, I mean, and it is, but... It is in a way, but... I wasn't expecting there to be like a conspiracy surrounding like, hey, we're we're drawing all of our forces to specifically Jakku. Yeah. And that it felt a bit I don't want to say trite, because like I said, I don't want to get too harsh on it. But for cause that means that so Gallius Rack specifically chose Jakku um because it was his home planet, right? Yeah, and, and I mean like what it built territory there and then well he, like, he, that's the thing time, Wait, what, was it did he build that or was it already there because uh, i remember oh, palpatine shit. saying something about that i think it was already there like it was very ancient tech uh, yeah because it talks about how um, this place was once some... important it will be important again that's what palpatine mm-hmm. said. yeah it could have just been from i guess maybe the sith empire days like kind of the old republic stuff I would like to go with the Rakata Empire, but okay. Oh yeah, yeah. But that's just um, because I mean, that's just because I'm a huge fan of the Jedi Mark. But like th- the designs of the Rakata always bugged me. <laughs> bugged. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I've never been super into them, but yeah, like the it's not I'll take it, them over the Vong. That's true. There is a point where it basically just says like this: this is all the shit tech, and it doesn't really matter where it came from. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that means that. So Jakku is important because of that, and Gallius Rex is important because he came from Jakku. And then in like what maybe fifteen or so years' time, someone's going to specifically pick Jakku to take Ray. Yeah, I mean, okay, Wendig does set up things like to nod at you, to push specific buttons on you, like mm-hmm. at the end of Aftermath, Rat the the 
villain, the the real villain, he's not referred to him by name. He's just referred to as the fleet admiral. Mm-hmm. And you know, your brain is th- your brain is thinking, wait, is this? Are they bringing Thrawn back? Yeah. And then you reveal, no, it's not. It's Scalius Rax, who could end up being the Thrawn of the... But no. And then at the end of Life Debt, you know, suddenly Jakku is really important again. And like, wait, what? But then you find it's... out what they mean by that. Like, it pushes your brain because you know Rey was left on Jakku. But then, you know, you get into the last, uh, the last book and you're like, oh, that's what he meant. Okay. Yeah. It just reminds me of how, like, so Tatooine is described as just this, like, dust bowl-ass planet in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, there's nothing kind of consequential about it. And it kind of, through, like, especially Expanded Universe stuff, Um, but it kind of became, like, it basically became, like, the most important planet in the galaxy for a while yeah. there. Because not only did Anakin Skywalker come from there, Luke Skywalker came from there, and all of this major stuff happened around what's essentially just a desert planet. And I feel like they're yeah. kind of. I hope they don't fall into the, a similar trap where. Yeah, I don't like. Like, I don't want to see as a thematic like callback yeah. to Tatooine. But you don't mm-hmm. have to be like this planet is yeah. the most important desert planet in the for, in the galaxy. For all things, I with anything that comes out, like any expanded stuff that takes place between six and seven, I don't want to visit Jakku. Like, I, I really mm. don't let it just be. I mean, because. You know how people were lamenting that when Poe Dameron comic came out, I was like, oh, why can't we get a Ray comic? And because mm-hmm. one, you can't tell any of the story <laughs> happening in episode seven. And mm-hmm. two, anything before seven, she was just fucking moving rocks around. Like we saw yeah. that um in uh Greg Rucker's uh Before the Awakening short stories. I um, didn't read she's that. just she it's pretty good. Um they're very like young adult focused, so they're very easy to read. There's um, the most, I think, important part of that is the fact that the uh, Poe Dameron one is basically a prologue to the comic. Oh, okay. Um, but, like, all three of them, you know, it shows Finn, Poe, and Ray, and all of them are just kind of, like, living oh. ordinary lives. You know? Like, yeah. Ray is just being a scavenger. Like, the, the, the fucking, the most drama she gets is another scavenger trying to steal her, like, stuff. Yeah. And it's like, she's not the chosen one at that point. There's nothing to kind of go back and explore. And like, I, this is a tangent, but I feel like the, uh, the cliffhanger ending of Force Awakens kind of screwed them over in the fact that they couldn't capitalize on yeah some stuff, but that's a discussion for another time, I guess. <laughs> what else do I want to get into? Um, I think I kind of want to close out on... Like the the expectations of this novel and of this trilogy, I guess, and how they lived or didn't live up to the expectations. Yeah, I, you know, I know the easiest comparison one can make, and it's all and mostly because it's a trilogy about the end of the empire, is to the Thrawn trilogy. I mean, you're probably gonna have more of a recollection. I haven't read those books in in over a decade. So I really do need I, to get back to them. What this happened. is the second time I'm going to uh, admit this. Um, yeah. I haven't read those novels, <laughs> um, like at all. The, like I, they came out in the eighties, mm-hmm. I think. nineties. Um, like I think. 90, okay. I think. I think the first one came out in like ninety two, something like that. Okay. The, the Hair of the Empire came out in ninety one. Uh, I wasn't born then. I wasn't born until two years after that. And by the yeah. time that I got into 
Star Wars Expanded Universe stuff was like 2009. When all was the, the bad stuff time... had happened already. Oh yeah, when there was already like genuinely hundreds of novels. Yeah. Um, so I've read less than 10 of the old EU novels. Um, and those ones just kind of... Because there was a point where I was like, I'm going to go back and read them all in chronological order. So I've read so like the Dawn of the Dawn of the Jedi um, novels. I've read the Darth Bane stuff and kind of Old Republic stuff. Yeah. But my knowledge of what happened after Return of the Jedi in the old EU is pretty uh, yeah. much sourced from Wikipedia. Most of, yeah, most of the books I, I read... I read some of the Clone Wars novels... And um, but the only one that from the old EU that I remember vividly, but just because of how good it was, was uh, Darth Plagueis. Yeah, and that was one that completely passed me by. I want to go back to it because yeah. yeah, and you know what, um, I, I would stuff. recommend it because Lucino went and wrote Tarkin, and he drops a lot of. He basically mm. confirms that that book is canon. Yeah, even though it came out like on the very tail end, like just before the reboot happened. But, but the, yeah, I yeah feel we're getting like, off topic. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there was a lot of hopes riding on this trilogy that were probably not... Like, I don't think any novel could have um, lived up to those expectations. I, if you yeah, know what I mean. I don't think so either. And, and we're... Okay, let's just get this out of the way. No you yes you listening right now it's not because Wendig had the fucking goal to put gay people in this get out of here oh god i need yeah, more gays in star wars not less yeah i i agree but it's funny it, like a lot of the reasons why people kind of hate these books are like for really their like, amazon reviews oh like, god they are hilariously you've terrible you got singer who's like a major like gay man character in Star Wars, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't be, but it's and a big deal. And he he is one of the two best characters in these novels. He's a delight. I uh, yeah, um, I know. But also you've got the present tense prose that for some reason people hated. I can um I can understand why. I mean it it never bugged me, but I could hmm. see at I can see that just not being someone's cup of tea, but yeah. it never bu- bugged me. Same. The other like, criticism the, I saw reasons, a lot like, was the other criticism I saw was um, they were hoping they would be novels that focused on you know the regular trio, but I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't want them to focus on that. I really didn't. That's actually something that I have really had to commend Wendig for, especially like in the tail end of Empire's End, is we didn't get a single moment of loot. In this yeah, entire sure trilogy. we didn't. Yeah, he's um, not. We got a mention of him at Ben's birth, but even me, then, it's it, not like, even confirmed. It's hearsay. Like maybe he showed up, maybe he didn't. Maybe he's mystical, mystical exile. <laughs> maybe he was the one who chose the name. Going. Maybe he's the one who chose the kid's name. Oh, oh it would make kid, sense. I would love to name him Bale. It's like you should name him Ben after that guy you met for about ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> All, all Leah's ever heard of is war stories of Kenobi. Okay, I, that's a weird topic. But yeah, I feel like... To be fair, she she was a massive train spotting fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry, uh, yeah. I, I'm projecting a bit. I'm pissed off that movie didn't come out near me. The second one, okay, at least. Yeah, that's fair. It hasn't come uh, out near me, and I'm angry at that. I still haven't seen it. I'm a bad, I'm a bad Scottish person. But yeah, I feel like... I, I appreciated the 
restraint it took to frame this conflict around almost entirely new characters. Mm-hmm. Um, other than, I think, Ray Sloan and uh, Snap, they were all... I mean, Snap was, I guess, kind of new at the time because... Hey, he might as well count. He didn't, let's face it, he didn't have that big a, of a presence in yeah, the movie. Yeah, and but... I think the original Aftermath came out before Force Awakens anyway. Yeah, like maybe a, like a month like a month or yeah. two before or something like that. I don't remember. So like we're, we're pretty much looking at an entirely new cast of characters and then they brought in more familiar faces as like supporting roles in the second and third one. I feel like that's emblematic of the route that the story group is taking which yeah. is decentralizing I feel like... the the trio mm-hmm. i feel like he i feel like wendig he probably had a lot of restrictions restrictions going into this oh yeah yeah but um, considering all that he did he did a he did a good job like i enjoyed them yeah they're not my favorites of the reboot i think mm-hmm. i think lost stars like touched a a really high milestone for sure. That's gonna be um, really hard to beat, but but I, I think I think in terms of like being a novel that's about like I feel like a lot of the novels we've seen are very kind of personal character novels. Yeah, They're, they really they went on specific characters. Having like the that... a novel that's about the state of the galaxy, mm-hmm. um, these were fantastic. Uh, yeah, a lot of things could be grown out of this. Like this is going to be the this trilogy will be the tentpole for things to come. Like like I said, I would I would not be surprised because this leaves at least three or four discrete spin-offs on the table at the mm-hmm. end of Empire's End, at least. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some follow-ups um yeah. announced, if not at celebration, in the coming months. Um yeah. I don't think this is a, a full stop in any way. No. And you know, it I'm I gotta give them credit. They have been Ever since they Disney acquired the license, they have been restrained. Mm-hmm. They have been very careful not to go crazy. Yeah, I, I'm because I think one of the things that kind of I think Pablo Thalgo kind of mentioned this as something that um, maybe failed the expanded universe is the fact that in order to keep selling books, the main trio had to be centralized to the story, even up to like the very end of basically what was that timeline um even to the point where luke skywalker's lineage goes all the way down to like legacy with Cade skywalker and they became like they became too stretched like all of them have like eight kids and millions of grandkids and like they become because they were the stars of the movies pretty much the most important figures in the entire galaxy yeah whereas i feel like the the approach that the story group has taken is that maybe they had their moment in the spotlight with those trilogies like yeah. that was their story and what we're seeing in aftermath is that they were just players in a yeah. larger game almost like chess where almost like you know, they were real people yeah where they're not at the forefront of every conflict in the galaxy yeah. and you know i feel like that is at times some of the, the one of the biggest weaknesses about the star wars family uh, about the Star Wars series is that it is just in the end a, a big conflict about one family that really needs some therapy. Yeah, it's, it's, they're the most dysfunctional family in the galaxy, and I, I like the approach to saying that of framing that conflict because we know that the saga films are always going to be about the Skywalkers because it's the Skywalker saga. Yeah. But framing that saga with 
the rest of the galaxy and zeroing in on these other characters and these other conflicts and saying that, like, why would Luke be involved in the destruction of the Empire when, like, his his base, like, his role is done. Like, he redeemed Anakin, he destroyed the Sith, he gets to go have a vacation being a weird hermit now. <laughs> like, other people can do that role. Yeah. And yeah, it's not like we're not going to get stories with, well, it's not like we're not going to get stories with Han and Leia, at least. I mean, we had bloodlines. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I know it's not part of the um, the topic. What did you think about bloodlines? I loved Bloodlines a lot. I thought that was a really great novel. And like I said, like, like it makes sense for her to take a role in the Senate more than I'm going to go join this new Jedi Order or... Yeah. Like, it, like... It, like, everyone, like, I always see people like, oh, why can't Leia use the Force too? I'm like, because that would be so dumb. Well, like, that's the thing. She can use the Force. She can, it's but... It's explicitly say that she has a connection yeah. to the Force. But why would she care? Yeah, that's you know, the big She's thing. a politician first. Like, yeah, this made, this made this really clear. Her parents... Well, her father was Bail Organa, not Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, that was a, a huge kind of part of Bloodlines as well, is that, yeah. like, even in the title, like, her... Her bloodline is uh, defined more by the legacy of Bail Organa than the the kind of downfall of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Okay, listen, everybody who's thinking we're going off topic, I'll just say Bloodlines is the first chronological mention of the First Order, so it does tie it back in. Shut up. Well, yeah, we are going a little bit off topic, though, but yeah. it's fine. Um, I think we're kind of wrapping up anyway, and it kind of ties into, like, I, was, I, I wanted to talk a little bit I mean, at this point, a very, very, very little bit about the future. And I can, I, can, we, I guess we kind of covered that with, like, I expect there to be spinoffs of this novel with certain characters. I half expect there to be something with Sinjur. Maybe. Like, Sinjur's political adventures could be an interesting read. I don't think they'll do it, but I, yeah. I, I'd buy it. it. You know what? That would be an interesting novella. I don't like a see a full series like that. Uh, yeah, maybe not. But um, it's something I'd I'd find fun. But like I said, I expect like the we obviously know that there's well like a twenty nine year gap after this. We're going to see more follow up from this. It might not be until closer to or after the Last Jedi, depending on how much information they want to keep until then. Yeah. But I like th- it's called the aftermath trilogy. It's not the end of star wars no it's just a bridge into this new era of basically peace for the galaxy and i'm really interesting to see what they follow up that with if you know what i mean yeah so yeah have you got any kind of final thoughts basically everything we've talked about they were very enjoyable novels i had a lot of fun reading them i i really hope wendig comes back to do something else in the star wars universe Outside For of, sure. you know, outside of, whatchamacallit, adapting movie scripts to a comic for some reason. Yeah, that's... <sighs> I don't understand why they're doing that much, but... Yeah, I, yeah I they, they're doing that for uh, whatchamacallit, too. Rogue One as uh, well. Yeah, Rogue One. But I'm just like, I never understand that. I never, I really don't. Then again, considering I mean, the weekend Marvel's they, they had, they I don't understand Marvel. Well. Yeah, I guess. Actually, yeah, that is a good point, considering the like even like the novelization of Revenge of the Sith is better than the movie. That is true. 
but that is not something we have time to get into no, unfortunately it's not but but yeah i think that will wrap up or talk about aftermath um there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't get into like i, I think we barely touched on the actual hero characters outside of ginger but that shows yeah. how i mean you know, interesting they, were, they, were. they were fine they were they were fine john burrell wasn't fine oh uh, well <laughs> Well, uh, most we, of them were fine. We might need to come back and talk about his boring as sin character arc. Uh, do we have to? <laughs> Listen, um, okay. The third, okay. All right, we will talk about one last character because it's very, 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 very quick to talk about. Okay. Is it Mr. Lumpy? Bones. No, it's Mr. Oh, Bones. Mr. Bones. Well, Shit, I should have said Lumpy. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mr. Bones. Um, R.I.P. Mr. Bones. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. Oh god, we didn't even talk about how Oh god, there's so much to mind here. Um the last thought is there was a so I don't know if people watch the Star Wars show on the Star Wars YouTube, but there was a feature on the launch party of the Join the Resistance basically young adult novel, I think, by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. And it was a like variety comedy show where they featured Ahmed Best, who voiced and mocapped Jar Jar Binks. And someone explained to him um, how Jar Jar Binks' fate is revealed in Empire's End. Oh, that he yeah! Basically, he basically like <laughs> destroys the entire galaxy um, without meaning to, and then goes to being a street performer, and without me- missing a beat, and yeah, earning like, my he's ultimate like a- respect, Ahmed Best goes, I know what that feels like. Oh, oh god. Oh no. And now suddenly I feel bad for making fun of Jar Jar. Oh, I mean, I don't, but it sucks that... Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we didn't talk about the interludes that much here, but um, that was a very... That was actually a very, very sad interlude. Oh, yeah. That was a bummer. But um, we are we are now at about 40 minutes. We're pretty much out of time. Uh, thank you for joining me and talking far too much about silly Star Wars novels. Thank you for having um, me. Where can the folks find you on Twitters and the stuffs? Um, well, I am a staff writer on Multiversity Comics. I have not been around that much lately. I've just been taking a bit of a hiatus because of uh, outside stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, you can find me on Twitter at Scholar. You can find me on Tumblr, www.discrunscholar.tumblr.com. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening and may the force be with you.